You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and its select theaters. Rated R. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Previously on Monster Talk. I, I was sort of stewing on this and living my life. And then one day I came across the book, The Mothman Prophecies. And it was the, um, it was the Illuminate Press sort of uh, large format paperback version with the Frank Frazetta painting on the front. And I'd never, I, I think I'd always heard about the book, but I didn't really know what it was about. And I didn't know who John Keel was or anything. So I picked up the book and I read the back of it. And I went, this is it. This is my movie. Join us now for part two of our interview with Richard Haddam, screenwriter of The Mothman Prophecies. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland, it's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Monster Talk. Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stolzner. This is part two of our interview with screenwriter Richard Haddam, who wrote the screenplay for the 2002 film The Mothman Prophecies. If you haven't heard part one, I would urge you to go back and listen to it, and also to check our show notes at monstertalk.org, where you'll find links to many of the books and films referenced during our discussion. We hope you enjoy this interview with Richard as much as we had recording it. Monster Talk. Richard, I'm curious to find out what you think about the recent Chicago Mothman sightings. Well, if you've heard about them, um, I've definitely heard about them, um, I, I, and I, I feel like I need to circle back into a bit more research because I was sort of plugged into the first wave uh, of stories that sounded um, really interesting and compelling, and in that they were different from each other. They, it, it, it didn't necessarily feel like people were just mimicking the last story they'd heard. And some of them seemed very strange, and a lot of them didn't even sound all that much like Mothman. They sounded more like a, you know, almost like a winged person. Um, and then, but then I've, I've heard like, oh, no, 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 we found out that a lot of those reports have been, um, have been considered non-legit. And but I haven't looked into why. But I heard, uh, and, and I don't want to spread you know rumors, 
Um, because I think it's, it gets difficult because people go, you know what, if I'm just going to get called a liar and I'm already freaked out, then I'm not going to talk. And that's right. not where we want to be. We want to be where people are like, nope, I, I feel totally okay talking about this. I took some notes. Let me explain what I heard or what I saw or what I experienced. Um, that's kind of where you want people to be, to be good witnesses. But anyway, um, so I guess my answer is I'm not sure. It all sounds really weird and interesting, but it might be a little bit too, too. Like I've heard of cases where over the course of a couple days, people will experience similar things. But when it goes on for weeks and weeks, even I sort of go, really? That, That sounds different. That's an outlier. Most phenomenon doesn't work like that. Even I mean, even the weirdest stuff doesn't get described like that. So that's kind of where I am with it. I'd yeah, say we just uh, did a show on this. We did, we did. I, I'd say check our show notes for the Mothman uh, Chicago episode we just did with uh, Allison Jornlin. Um, oh, cool. Okay, great. She she's done a lot of on the ground research into this, and uh, she's she's very much an open minded person. Uh, I I I don't know how she describes herself. I mean, she's a ghost researcher, and I think she's. Uh, you know, my impression was she's probably more uh, inclined to believe maybe than I am. But you know, I'm a terrible. You would like to believe? Yeah, I mean, but we would too. I mean, I, I don't know. I liked her. She was good, and she did some very solid research on the ground, trying to like go back and check the facts of the stories. Um, and unfortunately, it seems like um, that she's uh, being. I don't know what the polite way to say this is. That people are not receptive to anyone taking a critical look at this. I'll say that way. So, um, but you can. Oh, oh, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I mean, I wonder who's um, who's sort of personifying that point of view. Um, I think it'd be clear if you check out the episode. <laughs> oh, cool. Oh, all right. All right. Then I'll check it out. I'll check it out. Uh, but if you've experienced something, well, now now you're in a different league, and it's sort of like, well, now I'm going to sort of sort of understand where you're coming from through that prism because you must that that experience trumps everything whatever that experience was and however it's eventually explained yeah one of the horrors i have is that one day i might like uh, see a bigfoot and then i i'll be stuck with the position of i'm very skeptical uh i know unless i like get a sample i'm not going to be able to convince anybody how disturbing would that be? I mean, you know, so right. I, I, I always want to be ready. I mean, I'm, the, I, I'm that skeptic. I'm that weird guy who doesn't believe but is always carrying a camera and stuff to collect samples. So just in case, right? <laughs> or you might think it's yeah. just a person in a suit. Well, uh, they're going to die because I'm going to try to get that body. So <laughs> 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 sorry, pal. You picked the wrong guy to hoax. <laughs> <laughs> We had just talked about um, Keel being a seeker of the numinous, if you don't mind going back to that line of thinking. Well, the thing, the thing to remember about John Keel also is that he grew up uh, – he, w- he was a writer first and foremost, and he did write fiction. Um, and his nonfiction is so well written, it has the feeling of a fictional narrative, even something like the Mothman Prophecies, which you know, from, from page one to page last does not – you know, tell a complete story necessarily, but episodically he renders what is happening in Point Pleasant so well and and so entertainingly that that um, that you know it's informative as to who he was as a human being. By saying this, am I saying that 
he made stuff up? I don't think so. But I think he was interested in getting this information across in a comprehensible and entertaining way. And, um, and I think there is, there is a difference. I've, I've read many, many books of the paranormal. Many of them are just so dull you want to kill yourself. Yes. <laughs> I, I too have, and, and I have a huge collection of paranormal. I would say I, my bookshelves are probably 80% pro-paranormal, 20% skeptic, something like that. I mean, it, you know, if, yeah. you, if you don't familiarize yourself with the material, then it's really hard to talk about it from an informed position. You can't, I don't think it's really safe to rely on other scientific researchers to, to sort of be your filter for all this stuff. So, I mean, well, I mean, the thing about the scientific research, it's this weird thing. And I'm just sort of, again, this is my own personal journey stuff. I'm sort of coming to and thinking about now there's, there's always this sort of reflexive side of the paranormalist or the investigator. That's like, you know, science isn't taking this seriously. And if, you know, if they would just turn their attention to this, then, then, you know, we'd get some real answers and stuff like that. Or, 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 you know, or, well, you know, we've already proved that ESP exists, you know, and it's an established scientific fact if they would just admit it. But you know, a couple things, you know, on, on the one hand, I, I begin to, you know, a, a skeptic or a debunker will will often sort of hold the 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 bludgeon of materialism and and they will approach a witness who says they have had perhaps an alien encounter of some sort and they will say, well, where's the physical evidence? You know, you bring me a UFO and you bring me a body of an alien from another galaxy and then I'll believe you. But until then, it's just a story. And what that person is doing is um, sort of dragging a subject onto their field through a particular like set of rules or norms and then saying, see, it doesn't work. Um, and I, I wonder if, if materialism is ever going to be able to appropriately explain or evaluate the experiencer experience, because those experiences seem to be so largely psychic, uh, psychological that that we may be trying to force two things together by asking, you know, by asking, you know, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson to really start figuring out what's going on in an alien encounter. That's calling a plumber to fix your, you know, your electricity. You know, the, the, we, we may be using the wrong tool here. It's, I, mean, I, I, we, we I think actually, it's called parapsychology for a reason. It's not called paraphysics. It's not <laughs> called paraphysiology. It's called parapsychology. Yeah, I think I may have mentioned in my uh, email to you that I, I, I had actually considered be- going to West Georgia College when William Roll was teaching there to become a parapsychologist. That was one oh, of the... wow. Yeah, I, he taught... I mean, that's about 70 miles from my hometown. It was one of the things I was really seriously thinking about um, was going to learn about that because I was really interested in it. Um, I, I went a different route. But uh, I, I think... I think what you're hitting on is what I always like to think about is the filter problem. Um, you've got the scientific methodology 
Um, and what it does is it demands, you know, a testable hypothesis. Uh, you have to make experiments right. and you want it to be repeatable. There's these these words that people will pop up and you'll hear them in conversations about this all the time. Uh, and, and what do you do when the thing you're trying to test is not easily repeated, right? So, you know, James Randi had the, the million dollar challenge and, you know, part of that would have required him to find people who could reproduce their skills over and over again. And um, it, it, for things like I saw a ghost, it's a, it's an experience that uh, I'm golly, I would assume over the history of man, billions of people have experienced people, people, you know, certainly millions of people alive today believe in ghosts, hundreds of millions, no doubt. Um, but Proving it's an entirely different thing. Everybody can experience it, but quantifying it is hard, right? So, right, um, yeah. And, and and I'll admit that that as I get older, I'm kind of. And my wife asked me this the other day, and it was really sort of the perfect question. She she said, "Well, do you really want proof? Would you really feel happier if tomorrow morning you woke up and it's like, well, it's been proven." The soul exists, and there is an afterlife. Would you be happier that day? My mom would. Was, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, there you go. My answer was no. I would not be happier. I would, uh, you know, I, I mean, it's such an odd question because part of me would go, I don't believe it. And, uh, and then it's like, well, wait, now I'm the skeptic. Or, well, who's saying it? You do get into some weird areas. I, it's something I talked about recently with some uh, – on. Um, uh, do you know Rob Christofferson? I, I, I never know who crosses over through Astonishing Legends. He does the um, um, Our Strange Skies podcast. Uh, no, I don't know him, but I, I've uh, listened to it because of the uh, his, his being mentioned. So, yeah. Yeah, I was uh, chatting with him, and, and I was sort of saying, you know, the, the this vast difference, uh, because, you know, a lot of UFO stuff has come out, like in the New York Times and the Boston Globe in the last, you know, six months about – the, the government's, you know, there, there was a secret government program, you know, within the last 10 or 15 years. And, right. And it looks like Robert Bigelow's got something in, in a Las Vegas warehouse that's extraterrestrial and all, all this stuff. And I'm like, something isn't sitting right with me and I can't figure out what it is. And finally, it just sort of it crystallized very obviously. And it has to do with, I mean, you've heard of the disclosure movement. Oh, Yes. Yeah, it's like, well, one day the government's just going to finally, you know, say, okay, here's what we know. You know, uh, the aliens have been here. We picked up the crash disks at Roswell. We've got some alien bodies. Uh, well, one of them was still alive. We've established a treaty with these people. They're from, you know, all, all this stuff that supposedly th they know and are keeping under wraps. Now, compare that to any other human story you've ever heard about any kind of alien encounter. It's weird. It's bizarre. It makes no sense. It's non-physical. It's frightening. You are, you are passive to the point of being victimized. We're not even talking about the same things now. And on the other side, there's no, no, one, no one on the non-government side is saying, well, yeah, a, a, a disc crashed and I actually have it in the barn and I've, I've got some bodies. If you heard that, you would immediately go, well, that's horseshit. So how are these two things existing side by side? The minute you get government clearance, it all makes sense. The bodies are there. We've talked to the aliens. We've got a treaty. It's all good. No one on the government side is saying, 
this is the weirdest fucking thing in the world. We're out of control. <laughs> We're terrified. I was brought on board, you know, a ship and examined and told some really weird nonsense and then put back in my floated back into my bed. No general is telling us that. Okay? So who's who's selling us? Who's lying? You know? It, it, it's it's such an odd thing. It would be like if the government said, oh, we've got a special ghost unit and we figured out ghosts. We've got a treaty with the ghosts. We know exactly what they are. You wouldn't believe that for a second. Right. So, again, yeah. Taking the UFO experience and dragging it into the material and going, it's got to be material. It's got to be aliens from another planet. That was something that got floated early on and became something that the, the public imagination hooked onto because of science fiction tropes. But the actual alien intelligent energies encounter experience, if you actually read them, is very, very far away from that. And so often we're not even talking about the same things. Once again, the material versus the psychic. Well, yeah, but if you go back to the history of ufology, the uh, the fact that Ray Palmer was such a big part of uh, the promotion of, of UFO stories, uh, I think, and the fact that he was also a science fiction publisher. It, well, there you go. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not it's not that much of a coincidence. I, you know what I mean? I, yeah, I, I mean, I mean, I mean that, that's exactly right. That that's yeah. why we all think of it that way because yeah. there was someone going well, this is to my advantage to characterize it in this way. And if people think some of this stuff is, is real, they'll read my magazine because it's entertaining and they think there might be some secret cool information that's real. Yeah. I, I am absolutely fascinated by the history of this stuff, which is why we keep talking about it. Because the history of ufology ties in with the history of magic and esotericism and you know secret organizations. It's all... I, even though... A lot of that doesn't specifically deal with monsters. I felt like I needed to branch out and at least cover that because the impact of those movements and the way that that's developed culturally has absolutely influenced the way people deal with stories about Yeti and Bigfoot and lake monsters and all of this stuff. It's just, it's uh, it's all about how we deal with things that don't fit in that sort of scientific paradigm. I think to some extent, right? And so, right? Yeah, I, I, I and and I think. I think people actually have a tendency to try to make things fit. Yeah, um, you know, but I, w- I do want to make the point, though. So, as a skeptic, I, I, I who cares about this stuff? I we all you don't. I know you haven't listened to our show that much, but we uh, describe ourselves, or at least I like to describe ourselves as we're in a ghetto inside a ghetto because we <laughs> we we <laughs> we're people already that's, that's one too many ghettos. Yeah, right. We're 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 already a ghetto in that we're looking for scientific explanations and sort of rejecting the paranormal unless there's proof. But now inside that group, very few of those people are also really interested in these topics. So like, well, you're pissing everybody off. Right. And so we, we find ourselves in the strange position of, of loving monsters and caring deeply about the people who have these experiences but also wanting to find out what we can actually demonstrate is true and what we can't, and it's it's a it's a peculiar place to be. Uh, a lot of times, it ends up with uh, I, I hope that our our stance of actually just saying, okay, what can we actually demonstrate about science using these topics? That's a fun thing, right? So I I can say, well, we're going to talk about Bigfoot, and then use that to talk about 
human evolution and, and relic hominids and uh, the you know hybrids and talking about lake monsters. We talked about plesiosaurs and uh, what can we learn about them as real animals, that sort of thing. So all of that's interesting. And then we learned about psychology and biases and all the sort of limits of human perception. And, and then you see things like this week it was the uh, – what is it, Yanni and Laurel audiophile, right? And so you've got, oh, yeah. you've got people experiencing the same exact file, sound file, but getting entirely different data out of it, right? They're, they're, the information they're receiving is entirely different based on their head as a filter, right? So uh, it, it yeah. should be a big reminder that you can see the same thing as someone else and come to entirely different conclusions. But we well, keep, that's that, yeah. It's so fu- I, I totally agree, in it, but but it's so funny. It's it's like um, you know, uh, people will talk about um, electronic voice phenomenon, and 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 a common explanation for that is well, you're just you know, it, it's like staring at a at an audio Rorschach. You're you're just you're you're hearing something and you're saying, "Ooh, it's saying I'm dead," but this person over here is hearing Laurel or Yanni or you know whatever. Right. They're 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 hearing something completely different. Um, but my, but my question is, well, wait, why? What is this? What is the sound like? Why is there a sound where there should not be a sound? Like I, I understand that people interpret things in different ways, but if something is there that shouldn't be there. That's my let, – let's answer that question first. There was this guy – I'm sure you've heard of him, uh, Ted Sirios, the guy who did photography. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, the guy who would get drunk and then make pictures yes. appear. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and and he would – you know, I mean he's a classic case. I mean I, I could you know spend you know the rest of my life talking about that guy. But um, but what was really funny is the guy who wrote the book about him, uh, Jewel Eisenbud. You got to picture a guy who's sort of like, you know, trying to make his bones as a parapsychologist and, you know, he's looking for his, you know, white whale to finally prove some amazing thing. And he's getting older and it's not really working. And then one day he hears about this, you know, drunken bellhop in Chicago who can (laughs) think images onto film. And he's like, all right, I'll go check it out. And and he does some experiments and he's like, wait a second, I think there really is something going on here. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I've got my controls and everything. I, 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 I'm really excited about this. And he goes to the magazine he was working for or that he sometimes sold to. And, and they did, they did, they did some experience experiments right there, but he couldn't get any traction because they would sit with Ted Sirius and go, okay. Um, all right. Think about, uh, an old clipper ship, an old sailing ship. And then he would think about that and then he would, you know, then they'd go look at the film and there would just be like trees or a building or something. And they're like, well, it's, it's you know, it's inconclusive. You know, he, he couldn't really do what he said he was going to do. And Jules Eisenberg is like, but there's trees. There's a right. building. <laughs> it's like, don't get angry that he didn't do that. There's stuff on the film. They're like, well, but it's not what you said it was going to be. And he's like, oh, come on. On, so he continued running, but it is this odd sort of, you know, you know, yeah. There's all kinds of weird perceptions of things, but, but like, let's just go to a soundproof chamber and and run a bunch of tape recorders, 
and see if anything comes up. So let's get rid of the radio waves. Let's get a Faraday cage. Let's get rid of all those other explanations and see if something's there. And then let's not rush to decide what it is. It's an alien voice. It's the voice of the dead. It's this. It's that. It could be your own voice. People have recorded anomalous voices of people who are alive in other states. So, but it, so you're always – well, not always, but in the interviews I hear, you're always interested in these experimental approaches, which I love. Uh, and uh, I, I think that's I, – I, I love it when we get to do those, right? So that's, that's one of the challenges. Like there's so many times we'll come up on a case and we'll think, oh, well, all we need to do is figure out this or here's how I would test that. But then uh, – there's very few people in the country who have both the access and the time and money to actually go do those tests. It's really frustrating. And especially since a lot of us who are interested in this stuff are not professional scientists, right? So, right. Uh, and it's, it, 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 it is tough. And, and my feeling is that experiments only get you 50% of the way. Because yeah. all an experiment is ever going to do, and really all any experiment in parapsychology has ever done, is uh, – I mean – Again, if if we don't get into the argument of well, they did the experiment wrong and you know it's you know lack of control and whatever, but but you you can get evidence of something anomalous, but that never tells you okay now here's the theory that we apply that explains what that thing is and what it means to us as human beings. All you can do is well, the picture is not a fake. Well the the audio tape you know wh- wh- whatever but it's like but beyond that what does it mean what is a voice of your dead mother or brother on a piece of recording tape or a, or a phone call from the dead what does it ultimately tell us about the afterlife maybe nothing in fact maybe all of this stuff doesn't tell us anything about the afterlife maybe there maybe there's a a, a consciousness that can separate from the human body and have an out-of-body experience, maybe that is true. But maybe that only works with a with an alive body. And once the body dies, that separatable consciousness dies with it. We don't know. So you can't you can't jump to anything. And, but people want to because they want it to mean what they want it to mean. Yeah. It, it's it's I, 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 as I knew before we started a conversation, we're unlikely to come to satisfactory conclusions. Regardless, it's like <laughs> people. It's like, <laughs> the, the SPR. I mean, if you look at them, I was so happy that I heard you mention them. So, like a lot of the modern, you know, ghost hunters only know, you know, from plumbers on, right? You know, <laughs> they, they don't really, they don't have the full history of the field uh, in in their in their minds when they're thinking about these topics but uh the the search for proof uh like i like to think about it as the numinous or the the search for that there's more out here than just the physical world has been going on for a while and uh oh yeah it'll keep going on after we're gone um but but uh keel uh in in the mothman prophecies i think a, a lot of what he starts out the book in uh very early in the book uh by the way if you haven't read the book read the book it's really interesting if you haven't seen the movie Watch the movie. It's really good. Uh, and if you've seen the movie, read the book anyway, because the movie is 5% of what was going oh, on. Oh, yeah. yeah it, like you – well, how would you make a movie out of this? I mean, it's really the tough question. So I, I, I see how you did it. But when you had to look at – so for people who haven't read it, I would say one way to describe it is 
it is a collection of uh, many, many bizarre incidents that John Keel collected around Point Pleasant, West Virginia uh, in the late 1960s. And some of them sort of swirled around this character of Mothman, but uh, they also involved uh, UFOs, possibly an alien, uh, an interesting character named Woody Derenberger. Uh, and ultimately, at the end of it, his book needed an ending, uh, and it, he, he was receiving what he felt like were prophecies, that, that he was being warned about something terrible happening, but not what actually happened. And ultimately, there's a huge bridge collapse, and many people die, uh, and I think in the end, Keel feels like maybe that's what this was all about. Maybe? It's a little unclear, but it's yeah. even as, as vague as that sounds, it's a really good read. Yeah, it really is. And it was it, it was kind of tricky because there's just so much stuff you want to put in, like just so many weird, you know, men in black encounters and all kinds of weird stuff. And, if, and a few a few scenes were included in the script that were either never filmed and some got left out of the movie. So so it really it, it was the experience of writing. It was like, OK, like just find find an emotional through line that that it again evokes those feelings of trying to get solid answers to to vague questions and the impossibility of that and and what i tried to do is create a narrative where where every time he tried to nail it down it escaped him it it was like i know you're trying to get us but you're never going to get us john klein <laughs> and he kept but he did all these smart things and he really tried to get it and 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 he he couldn't get it and and it made a fool of him it was like it was like he was charlie brown and Indrid Cold was Lucy and the football. Yeah. And every time he tried to get it, they're like, no, 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 not that easy. And and finally he's just like he, he he goes over the edge because then then they dangle, then they cruelly dangle the the one thing. Because he's ready to give up. He's like, you know what, screw it. And they're like, ooh, we're losing his attention. Hey, want to talk to your dead wife? Yes. <laughs> The most, the most alluring. I mean, and that gets down to what everyone you know goes to a medium or a fortune teller for anyway. It's just finally they're like, okay, you know what? All right, we're done goofing around. We're gonna give you the answers to life and death. You're gonna talk to your wife. You're gonna actually get the answers you've been looking for from the beginning. And uh, and and it's it's thank God it's a human being going really. You're going to wander into a bar just one more time. Yeah. <laughs> you know? it's, it's Laura Linney calling him up going, how about you don't? How about this time you say no to them and you just put it all behind you? Because that's what happened in the book. In the book, John Keel was going nuts and he called up all of his you know, UFO investigator friends and, and they all said to him, well, you know, there is a way, but you're not going to like it. You got to throw it all away, turn your back on it, burn your notes, throw the books in a dumpster and stop thinking about UFOs and you might get your sanity back. And, and so, you know, that's what happens to, uh, to John Klein in the movie. And it's only when he finally says, I'm not going to listen to any of the noise that suddenly the universe realigns and he gets to where he needs to be at the moment he needs to be there to reassociate himself with an actual physical human relationship 
And that's uh, and that that was the conclusion of the movie, which of course nobody got. They're all like, "I don't get it. He never fought the Mothman." Right. <laughs> I in a in a real sense, um, I think this movie uh, works uh, as a proxy for what a good X Files movie should have been. Uh, <laughs> so I, I mean, it does, and it also it feels very Lovecraftian to me. Uh, if you don't mind. Oh, interesting. Saying. How so? How so? Because in. Um, if you take Lovecraft literally, uh, a lot of the things that you've got these cultists trying to break through to these uh, what they see as gods on the other side, but ultimately those creatures don't care about us. They're, they're beyond us. They don't. They're alien. They're different. We're not important to them. Uh, in uh, the Call of Cthulhu, you've got uh, you know Cthulhu sending out messages. In that particular case the aliens want to come destroy the world. But a lot of times what they're doing is not evil. It's just beyond our human understanding. Right. Totally. And so that's the feeling I got watching it was that whatever's going on here, the, the, within the fictional narrative, the protagonist is never going to be allowed to understand. And the more he thinks he understands, the more likely he is just making up his own story. (laughs) Totally. Absolutely. Hey, have you read a book uh, by an author named George Hansen called The Trickster and the Paranormal? No, but I'm writing it down. Oh, you got to write it down. This this is a guy not well known in the parapsychological world, but a guy you I think you would really like. He is he is a um, well acquainted with the skeptical world and well acquainted with the parapsychological world. Uh, George Hansen and doesn't doesn't surface a lot. He just was on... Do you ever listen to Radio Mysterioso with Greg Bishop? No, but I'll add it Check to the that list. one out, too. <laughs> Check that. Greg Bishop is, uh, you know, uh, a, uh, a UFO thinker, a uh, smart guy, uh, entertaining radio show. And he got George Hansen on, and they talked, and it was, it was really... It was really interesting. It's a point of view I have not heard a lot. And and this is a guy who, from what I can understand, uh, does feel that there is phenomena, but also is a magician and is familiar with skeptical arguments. And he said one of the most interesting things about what motivates skeptics or what might be motivating some of the more uh, vocal debunkers, which is kind of crazy – but you want to hear what he said? Sure. He was like, look, there has been a – as long as there have been people around, there have been these experiences um, and people claiming to have these experiences. But uh, kind of like what we were talking about, very rarely are they beneficial. And there is a there, – there actually might be in a weird way a sort of survival aspect to skepticism. There, there might be an aspect that, that is actually just a very rational human instinct away from the non-physical and the way it manifests. So this might be a survival tool that is, humans have developed. Do you mean like, to, a, a, like a rationally protect yourself from the maddening effects of, uh, of, of the, these sort of non-understandable things? Yeah, it's, it's kind of like what, what Keel's friends were telling him. Yeah. Stop thinking about it. Because often it feels like that's what skeptics are saying. You know, uh, Stop thinking about it. It, it. It's a waste of time. It's foolishness. We have bigger and better things to work on, like uh, you know, space travel and curing diseases. And guess what? They're right. Yeah, well, <laughs> there's, 
it's frustrating because when you look at all the things that people could be spending time on, I, I imagine uh, asking whether or not Bigfoot's real is is probably pretty low on people's lists, right? I mean, <laughs> I mean you know, but but. You know, the only way I'm able to justify it myself is because two things. One, I I think it is a a model of thinking that can help you uh, with maybe more pressing issues by teaching you about something perhaps you're not as emotionally invested in. Some people are very invested in Bigfoot. I like to say that in the world of Bigfoot, you see all of well in the world of cryptozoology you see the whole spectrum of human belief writ small right i mean you've got you've got <laughs> from agnosticism to complete religious fanaticism all about this one small topic but most people don't have that passionate i'm willing to take up arms to you know for my side yeah. right so uh, I, I think it's a relatively safe place to sort of play out these questions but yeah yeah but uh you can take the skills you learn if you use Bigfoot as the whetstone whereupon you sharpen your critical thinking skills. You could take those skills and apply <laughs> that newly sharpened knife to other more important questions in your life, I think, and maybe that will put you in a better place. But that's one way I justify it. The other way I justify it is that people, whether Bigfoot's real or not, people experience Bigfoot. And if we don't address the fact that people are having these experiences and listen to them and try to understand what's going on and help them if they're having problems, or at least acknowledge that people have experiences that you can't explain, um, I think that's uh, really losing part of uh, humanity, the potential for empathy there to just get a better idea of how people really are. I mean, that's part of the human narrative. Yeah, I I, I absolutely agree. Um there is something essentially very, very human about these questions. Yeah. Um, I, 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 you know, I'm beginning, I'll tell you, this is going to, you know, it's going to sound crazy, but more and more I'm beginning to think that Bigfoot in the stuff that I've been reading and hearing, I'm beginning to suspect Bigfoot is moving away from the physical and in my mind, I'm beginning to think of Bigfoot as a as as more of a not entirely physical thing. That it might be more into the camp of the alien encounter, the ghost encounter, this the strange being, the chicken leg woman. You know <laughs> that, that, that 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 there's the the. The, the the way some of those encounters are described, I'm almost thinking it's got to be two different things. One, non-physical and is experienced psychically, and the other, possibly, and, and in a way maybe more unlikely, a, a physical living, breathing animal that we simply do not have uh, full proof of yet. Well, you've probably heard Joe Nickel talk about ghosts, right? I, I, I assume he he has the thing. I, I have. He has. Uh, he he used to partner with a guy named Baker. I think Nickel and Baker used to work together, and and Baker had this thing. So when you ever hear Nickel say this, he always credits Baker. Uh, but it's uh, there are no haunted places, but there are haunted people, or only yeah yeah. And so huh. I I. Uh, you know, so without rejecting the existence of ghosts, I totally agree. As a person who's experienced it myself, you could totally 
be haunted. I mean, the experience of, of experiencing a ghost, whether they're a real thing or not, like whether they are a, a dead person or whatever, people experience hauntings. That's just true, right? Yeah. Because a haunting is a conclusion. Right? A haunting is, this is what happened to me. People experience Bigfoot. Whether that's really a bear or a, something, <laughs> yeah. or, or, or it's a real animal or it's something else, they experience Bigfoot. I mean, and when you meet people who've seen Bigfoot, it's not like someone who saw a, a kangaroo. I, you know, it's it's different. Yeah. The, these are these are experiences that change people's lives. It's for most people who, especially if they have a full on. Bigfoot sighting, like it's not something they heard in the woods. It's not they heard tree branches breaking. They saw an eight-foot-tall hominid, right? Those people's lives are changed by that experience. And it's clear when you talk to them that what they've had is something very akin to a spiritual or religious experience. And and to me, as a skeptic, that means that what's happening uh, is, is, is sort of hitting in the same way as if they'd seen an angel, and I'm not saying that angels aren't real because I, I, I can't prove that, but I do know that people experience angels, people experience religious visions, and people experience Bigfoot. So we took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hello, I'm Paul Giamatti. And I'm Stephen Asma. Each week on Chinwag, we dig into the weird topics you wonder about, that you care about. The stuff none of us are totally sure of, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mothman, Consciousness, Philosophy... UFOs, ghosts, or say Bigfoot. So who's to say that there's not alien species that are Sasquatch? Like I've seen a ghost and I would hear something walking and breathing. Maybe every path is right. I will accept as a premise that every path is right. That is a face on Mars. Eyes, nose. It kind of looked like Wilson the volleyball. Some people enjoy the waves or whatever uh, crashing and I enjoy listening to a quantum physics audio book. I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand and probably won't understand. That's our whole show. (laughs) So join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at ChinwagPod and Wagon. Well, now, yeah, and now I'm going to say this stupid thing where it's like, well, you know, and and then we have to we have to ask ourselves what we mean when we say real. Yeah, and I think. I think most people sort of go, well, real, like I can pick it up. And now we're back into materialism. Uh, and then and now and so my equal opposite pull would be uh, an invitation to say a thing does not need to be physical to be real. And and if we broaden our definition of reality to include these experiences, then then materialism does not become the only tool we have. And and maybe we can start looking at other ways to talk about human experience, which for the people who experience these experiences is very real, and 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 to have that conversation on, on a more even footing. 
And this is not to say you literally accept because I like like my thing is push push the fence posts back as far as you can. And even when people who have experienced something try to begin to define it or explain it or say, well, you know, I had a near-death experience and I met Jesus. When I hear that, I don't go, oh, shit, Jesus must be real. <laughs> I don't do that anymore. Right. You know, I go, I go, okay, what I'm hearing is a person had an experience and this is how – this is the language they are using to express it. But but let me not listen to the Jesus part and and and, and get distracted by it as much as let me listen to the, the entirety of the experience and see if that from beginning to end feels like other things I've heard about other people having other experiences, whether it be alien, Bigfoot, ghost, or whatever. And when you do that, it's like it's like stepping back from a 3D painting things actually begin to come in focus and you go, oh, wait, that connects to that. Actually, these things do sound a lot alike. And and our, our, our constant urge to piece things off and you get Bigfoot and you get UFOs and you get ghosts has slowed us down, I think, in understanding a general notion of what a person experiences when they experience something unexplainable. True that. I tell you, it's interesting to me. Well, obviously, obviously, I wouldn't be doing this show and be on like 155 episodes if it wasn't. But the <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> the 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 fact is, uh, if it was, if we could stop there and say, okay, we can acknowledge this. I even as a skeptic, I know people feel these things really happen to them. That's that's easy, and I. I but. The challenge is that people who have these experiences often insist that other people believe them, and belief for me is really hard to come by. Uh, yeah, and, and uh, so like if someone has a life changing Jesus experience, they see Jesus and he gives them a really important message they need to tell to everybody. Well, why would I believe that? You know, I mean, it, it, it's what what's going to compel me to believe that? And what if that message is that I need to do something that I don't like, or I need to stop doing something that I love? That, that sort of prescriptive uh, aspect of the story. You know, it's if if I have to believe, I have a problem because I, I can't do it. I, I have a really I might push the button and I believe button is broken. Something's happened to me. I used to be able to believe all kinds of things and now I need way more evidence to really believe in something. And uh Yeah, and you know and you want answers and, and I think maybe the people, you know, all kinds of people have experiences and and filter it through the prism of their mind, their beliefs, their their past, their upbringing and and they themselves may may begin a uh, applying a narrative after the fact, thinking that at least they will gain audience with some group of people. That that if if I sort of wait, okay, look, you you and I do this too. You have a dream, and the dream is uh, evokes an emotional uh, response from you. Uh, it was very scary. It was very weird. It was funny. It was something. And, but do you ever notice that when you start telling the dream to someone, you sort of start making it make a little bit more sense oh yeah i know I, th- I i as a skeptic i think about it a lot yeah, yeah. Be- because you're like well okay the, the, that didn't make I, any sense gonna... I, you know so yeah you have to you sort yeah. of like start smoothing it over and reforming it right 
Yeah, I, I'm not going to get 10 seconds into this dream before you check out unless I go, well, okay. So it, it was basically, you know, you and me and we were in the Ralphs, you right. know, down the street. <laughs> and it's like, well, it was sort of like that. And it was kind of the Ralphs, but it was also kind of my mom's house. Right. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, now you're checking. I'm like, okay, I don't get it. Where, where are we? Ralphs, your mom's house. <laughs> this is going to rewrite, you know, fix this. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, all of my research into memory and, and uh, that sort of thing is we're constantly rewriting our memories. So I don't trust memories. I don't trust my own memories. I'm appalled by this. If The more you look into this stuff, the more you start to question a lot of the basis for what makes our culture work, which is things like eyewitness testimony in the legal system. <laughs> You're like, oh, oh yeah. no, this is all messed up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Well, and, and it comes down to like, and, and what... And in what aspects of our life do we accept uh, personal testimony and, and when do we not? Right. You know, on a personal basis, a friend is telling a story about a relationship they've had, and how they're, you know, how it ended. You know, you, 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 you listen fairly uncritically and go, well, that's they're telling you their experience. Maybe in a court of law, you, you're, you're parsing it slightly differently. It's the pr- um, if someone, provisional if acceptance you that, until you start hitting the bullshit meter, right? Right. Yeah, and then yeah. Yeah, exactly, and yeah. you know when, when do you when do you slam on the brakes and and why, and um, and that's something that you know uh, everyone kind of you know will will judge for themselves. Absolutely, I I, I actually peculiarly uh, I'm uh, let's see I'm 48, and about three weeks ago. I finally had uh, the experience of having a dream come true. To the best of my knowledge, the first time that's ever happened. Oh, so, re- like a precognitive dream? Yeah, yeah. I have. Ne- I, well, I, yeah. So yeah. you've been sitting on this for two hours. Let's hear it. No, no. So, well, you know, I'm a skeptic, so uh, I've already deconstructed. It. It's not that interesting anymore. But here, here, here goes. All right. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's hear it. Let's take it right, to so, the whole. So I. Um, I'll try to tell it as though I did believe it was all really significant, all right? So, all right. I, when I graduated high school, uh, I went off to college and then uh, dropped out of college to join the Navy, uh, traveled over to the Middle East for a while. So I, I lost track of a lot of stuff. When I came back, I, I found out that one of the, the kids I went to high school with had died in a really tragic car accident. And... Um, and so it was, uh, he was not a friend. I don't want to like identify him, but let's say we were, we talked to each other a lot. We saw each other a lot, right? So um, I, I, every now and then the story of him, him dying was so tragic. I would think of it and I was like, man, it's, I, what would have become of him if, you know, he had lived, right? That, that it might have been a really interesting life, right? But, uh, you know, he didn't. And so, um, like about three weeks ago, um, I had this dream that I had gone to the shopping mall, but it was one of those dream malls. That's not really important to the story, but I wanted to give it a, a setting. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, I was with another friend, and, and, and then this guy from our high school showed up. And, and I, was, I, I'm, I, I was trying to be so polite. I was like, you know, hey, I, I hate to bring this up, but you shouldn't really be here because you, you, you're dead. Right. <laughs> like, I mean, how do you how do yes. you break that to somebody? I mean, you know, it's like I, I wanted to like let him know. It was like, look, I don't know where you're supposed to be, but 
not here. I mean, really, because you're dead and dead people shouldn't hang out at the mall. But you look great. I just want, you know. <laughs> so it was, it was a really peculiar conversation. But it was one of those dreams where you wake up and it feels like it really happened. Uh, and so I told my wife about it. And then I called up the friend that had been in the dream with me. And I said, hey, I dreamed about that guy from high school that died. It was really peculiar because it seemed really real, like he was still alive. Um, and so he thought that was pretty funny. So uh, it, it stuck with me so oddly that a week later I was with my sister uh, and I said, you know, I had this weird dream about that guy that died in high school and I mentioned his name and she said, he's not dead. <laughs> and I said, what? And then uh, she said, oh, yeah, there was a death rumor that went around. I guess that was probably when you were in the Navy. And uh, it turned out he wasn't dead. Yeah, no. And then, like, we were with another lady, and she said, oh, yeah, I saw him, like, three weeks ago. And uh, so I was, what? And so, yeah, it turned out he was not dead. He, he had never been dead. So, you know, it's not like he came back. But for me, he's been resurrected, right? <laughs> but it was oh, totally, yeah, oh my yeah. God. So for me, he just came back from the dead. I mean, he's been dead for more than twenty-five years. It's peculiar. Uh, he's been dead for thirty years. It's crazy, and now he's alive again. I just we haven't had a chance to catch up. But <laughs> can you imagine if you would run into him on the street? Oh, I would have lost my mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now it would have been it would have been even worse if it had been like in the dream because in the dream he was still young. But I, you know, I didn't reach out to him, but I looked him up on Facebook, and he's, you know, he's aged like all of us, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. But it was it was really peculiar. But uh, I, I, from a skeptical perspective, I'm like. My, I told my wife this story, and she's like, "That's weird." And I'm like, "Yeah, it's not." And she's like, "What do you mean it's not weird?" I'm well, like, well, yeah. well, it's it's the weird thing is that the dream felt real, so I told you about it. If it hadn't have been one of those dreams that felt real, I would have just ignored it, and it would have gone on, and I, he would have still been dead to me until I maybe I found out some other time. Right? The dream would have had no significance, and if I hadn't had the weird dream. I would have never mentioned it to my sister because why bring it up? He's been dead for 30 years, right? You know, it's so it's, right. it, in every dream that I have that doesn't come true, nobody remembers those, right? <laughs> well, right. And, and by the way, it's not as if like, like, like I would say if you had had a dream where you ran into this guy and you had sort of said, look, I, 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 I hate to say this, but you really shouldn't be here. You're dead. And in the dream, he had said to you. I'm not dead. That was a rumor. Right. You heard the wrong thing. <laughs> Ask your sister or whatever. Right. You know? There could have been a lot of ways to make it more interesting or more or, or right. more and even shocking. Then, and even then it's yeah. sort of like, well, maybe I sort of knew that or I sort of like in some way I, I subconsciously understood that this person might not actually be dead or I'd heard something else but had discounted it. I mean there are like like there's there's all kinds of Dreams where people will say, oh, I, I ran into an old high school friend or I dreamt that I was going to run into an, high, an old high school friend. And then I did the very next day. And then and then a, a skeptical response might be, well, but that old friend might have been in town for a few days and you actually might have seen them before you even had the dream, but not consciously right, registered right, it. Right, but, it yeah. but it registered in your subconscious and, and expressed itself. And then coincidentally, you dreamt about that person. And then doubly coincidentally, you then ran into that person and made a face-to-face -face connection, which, you know, I mean, you, you, coincidences do happen. I'll so tell you, I'll like, tell you right, when, when this more amazing to me, it happens all the time to me, is I'll be at the house, minding my own business, and I'll start thinking about my best friend. And the phone will ring, and it's a motherfucker telemarketer 
Well, so you should never think about your friends. That's just – you're just chumming the water for the telemarketers. <laughs> that is fantastic. I am so just – Well, you know, but here's – I'll tell you something else though. Um, dreams, there's no proof they exist. I know. Isn't that weird? <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, if I if I were, you know, I, I keep bringing up Neil deGrasse Tyson just because I like, you know, throwing around that name. But you know, I mean, every argument against. Do you ever any call it? I, I've never heard it pronounced that way. Do, do you? Do you ever call him the Grassy Neil? What? <laughs> wait, 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 DeGrassi. No, I call him Neil deGrasse Tyson. Right? Isn't I no, no, name? no. I was thinking about the Grassy Knoll from the Kennedy assassination. Oh <laughs> no! But you know what? I will tell you this: we, I, I worked on a TV show where there was a character that we wanted. We kept saying, "Oh," and then basically, this guy's trying to get in touch with Neil deGrasse Tyson to uh, prove his theory, and, and 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 so when we actually had to write that character. We, we knew the model, but we couldn't actually make it him, so we made it a woman, and we called her Tyra Daniel Fields. Nice! <laughs> and we're like, maybe, maybe it'll evoke what we're trying to go for, because it's so clearly Neil deGrasse Tyson, only it's a woman. So anyway, but that being the thing, you know, every skeptical argument about uh, about, well, I mean, that's, you know... All we have is your word, your witness testimony. This is an experience that you had. It's purely subjective. There is absolutely no physical proof. There never has been. Um, using those exact same skeptical arguments that, that are expected to hold water in terms of other subjective experiences could be just as easily applied to dreams. And by all logic, I have now just told you that dreams don't exist. And the only reason they exist is because more people have had them than have had alien encounter experiences. But you know what? If nine out of ten people had those experiences, we would be talking about them in a very different way. Yes, uh, that's true. We would be. I mean, that, well, look at shadow people. A lot of people have uh, shadow people experiences. And so those, uh, I think, probably ring closer to home uh, than a lot of alien stuff because uh, I, I don't know if it's coming out in the literature that way. Uh, but it, it's just – it's a very, very, very common thing to see some sort of shadow entity with a hypnagogic or hypnopompic sort of experience, right? So, Well, that's, that's another weird thing. I mean the, the old hag experience, which is which – is, again, partially explained as a uh, dream experience. I mean it's sort of it, – you're sort of asleep. You're sort of awake and, and you can physically study a human being sleeping and – you can physically study the mechanisms through which a person falls asleep and wakes up, the release of certain hormones and then the release of other ho- hormones that deactivate the first hormones that that allow you to actually not move around when you're asleep so you can actually sleep. I mean sleep is very weird. But anyway, having said all that, um, there is something about the ex- people who experience all kinds of things, ghosts and aliens – and the connection to sleep and and where we are in in terms of our our conscious mind and our and our subconscious mind and and I think th- an argument can be made if you are going to argue for consciousness that that it's in these fluctuating states of consciousness between waking and sleeping that can also be artificially induced you may become more able than to physically interact with things that are less than physical. This is not saying that every dream involves ghosts or that the old hag is definitely a ghost or definitely a dream or 
you know, but but it, it it could be something in between because there are there are old hag experiences that are far more physical, you know, and and that are and that that happen among a landscape of other psychic phenomenon that even makes me question that and go, well, maybe that isn't even maybe maybe thinking we've got that totally explained is a slight rush to judgment. Not sure. I'm not sure either, but I'll tell you uh, one of the things that I find interesting lately, you know, in my day job, I'm an IT guy, is how many people in my field are, uh, are, are, uh, are believing the idea that we're in a computer simulation, right? So oh, yeah. I, I find that very frustrating because it's, I, I don't think it's, first of all, I don't think it's a very easily falsified hypothesis. Uh, oh, it's, it's impossible. That would be the least uh, falsifiable. Yeah, but, but I... I I also think that what I don't see in those conversations and, and, and articles is one of the reasons it would easily seem like a simulation is because we are always living in a simulation in that we live inside our brain, which is basically a, a, an organ that processes input that's not directly experienced, right? So we think yeah. of it as being directly experienced, but you know everything's being processed there's lag there's uh you know your vision's actually upside down you have a blind spot there's a lag between the time when you touch things that you can experience them you have limits to your hearing range you have limits to your vision range uh you know there's all these things that we don't think about because our brain filters them out and everything is basically being sent through our filters and we can't know what other people experience. There's this whole concept of qualia, uh, that like you know what you see as red may be different from what someone else sees as red. There's limits to human language. I mean, language is the best tool we have for communicating ideas back and forth, but uh, we all have to come to like agreements on what things mean. It's a really complicated thing to be this really intelligent animal that also has to cooperate and live in a society built with other animals who are unable to fully communicate anything. It, it's, <laughs> it would be a lot better if we were, as a species, either a lot dumber or a lot smarter. Yeah, yeah, but, basically, but this, yeah. This, this point that we've reached really sucks. <laughs> you mean like the fact that uh, we were out of time? <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what yeah, I mean we need to be at a bar my friend This is <laughs> oh, you could say that pretty much any time to me and I'd say yes well I, okay I, I do have one more quick question something about this movie thing if you don't have if you have a second the, uh, this is a ridiculously specific question but when I was watching the movie again I noticed that the uh, the lodge that John Klein's staying in is, is the Avalon uh, it's like Avalon Motel or Avalon Lodge or something was that you? Yeah. Did you write that? Was that was that a deliberate choice, or was that just where they found the location? I was just. Um, my understanding is that that's an actual location. Um, How in Pennsylvania. The whole movie was filmed in Pennsylvania in a town called Catining. Um, that that first they scouted Point Pleasant, and then realized for a number of reasons that would not that would not work for production. But then they tried to find a a, a town that would work that that but but felt like Point Pleasant and and and. You know, same era, same industry kind yeah. of thing. So, yeah, uh, the Avalon was not uh, my choice. The, uh, so, I don't. Did it have significance for you? Only from the Arthurian legends, the idea of like you know Arthur 
you know, when he dies, he goes to the island, and that's where he's supposed to come back from when you know Britain's his greatest need or whatever. It's it's sort of oh. a, the, the, the sort of mystical aspects of Avalon from mythology. Of if if uh, you can, see I would that. be yeah. I would be so happy if someone on the production team said, "Oh no, that's exactly why we did it." And we we actually made the signage because th- th- that does happen on sets. They will they'll make signs uh, if if legal clearance doesn't come through. Usually, I'll come up with a really cool name for a restaurant or a bar or a prod or whatever, and then immediately it's like, oh, uh, we can't call it that. Or a character name. It's yeah. Like, no, legally that didn't clear. Here are your choices, and inevitably you just come up with you know stuff that. You know that isn't significant to you, but every once in a while you do get to name the place, the thing you want to call it, and uh, and then that's really fun because then a prop will get made and it's like, oh, cool, you know. Well, because it ties in with the uh, ultra terrestrials. I mean, if you look at the Avalon, you've got sort of the fairy, uh, little people sort of uh, ties in, uh, you know, with Glastonbury, oh, yeah. right? So, so I thought, oh, that's pretty subtle. Uh, <laughs> like, that doesn't sound like Adam. No, no, no. I, it, it did. It, it, I mean, having heard you, I thought, I thought, well, that's a lot of trouble to go to to like make that an illusion. And uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, so, but, but, man, but no, it's by co- coincidence. Okay, so <laughs> I, I, I think I think it's a coincidence unless the production designer, you know, one day gets in touch and says, "Oh no, that was my little nod to you know, I'm a big fan of the Arthurian legends." Which would be awesome. Uh, and every once in a while stuff, you know, I mean, never stop asking those questions because a lot of times you'll get the answer yes. Someone will go, oh, no, totally. And I do that. We've done that on TV shows. Uh, oh, really quickly, I'll, I'll give you uh, – you, are you familiar with the TV show Grimm? Yes. I don't, I don't watch it, but I'm familiar with it. Yes. Okay. So two really quick stories. Yeah. One is in, in the episode of Grimm um, – and the premise of Grimm is that – uh, is that people there's a certain race of people that also have an animal aspect so that they're they're sort of also part that animal but we see them as people and this is sort of where fairy tales came from oh that's like really me I'm a, I'm a huge boar <laughs> <laughs> <Not, laughs> exactly thank you for saying it you saved me the trouble okay uh, so what they uh, so in this one episode that we did that that uh, and the show takes place in Portland, Oregon. So we did an episode that touched on the uh, Bigfoot myth, which brings it all full circle. And uh, within the story, uh, in in different roles that had nothing to do with anything, there was a character named Patterson and a character named Gimlin. Nice. And people called it out. People were like, oh my god, Patterson Gimlin, they're calling it out. And then one other thing we did in that show all the time is every episode has a number. So the 12th episode of the third season is episode 312, for instance. Okay. And we would – anytime we could, we would call it out. If, if, if that episode had a motel, they're staying in the motel room 312. Nice. And people started, people started catching it. They're like, oh my god, you know, take a look at that person's badge number or the table they're sitting at or what's on the door. And they figured out that we were calling out the episode number with little visual cues within the episodes. So fans are geniuses when it comes to this stuff. And, and I say go for it because sometimes you're right. That's awesome. I, I wanted to tell you one interesting thing uh, with Keel. Uh, so I, I've read a lot of his work, and uh, we are you familiar with the Beast of Gévaudan? It's a no, I don't. Think okay, so. so in the 1700s uh, in France, there was a, a giant wolf creature that was allegedly well, it was it was killing people. 
it, for real. And I mean, hundreds of people died. Uh, but they attributed really, it, yeah, yeah. They they attributed it to one animal. Uh, if you go back, if you ever have time, we covered it on Monster Talk in a three part uh, series, which I is probably the ones I'm most proud of. Uh, obviously, oh, cool. till this one, right? I'm, you know, so uh, well, yeah. I mean, I feel, like, you might as well just wrap it up. I think right. this is your final episode. But uh, one of the questions I had as a researcher was, uh, for some reason. The story about this animal it has this guy named Jean Chastel killing the animal with a silver bullet. Now, oh. I, but it doesn't really make a lot of sense because my own research into it suggested that silver bullets didn't become associated with werewolf lore until after the 1880s, uh, which is. But maybe it's because of that. Well, it. Uh, yeah, maybe, right? So why? Why did they become involved? Well, uh, I had to find out. So I did a whole bunch of research on it. And uh, I, it turns out that uh, uh, American werewolf movies were what really cemented the silver bullet into werewolf lore. But there was no mention of uh, Gévaudan having a silver bullet involved in that case until the 1960s, 1970s. And... Oh, so that got reverse engineered. Yes. And so the way it got added, where I found two references to it. One was in the work of a woman named Joan Grant, who uh, I guess in the 1950s was a, a popular fiction writer, whose her, her gimmick, if you will, was she wrote historical novels that she remembered from past lives. So, <laughs> right. So, <laughs> so the, they're all... You, you, it's a lot easier to research when you don't need to do anything but remember what happened, right? So, <laughs> That's the kind of research I like. Yeah, so she wrote a, an autobiography, and in that autobiography, she mentioned the story of Javadon and included a silver bullet in the story. That was the one place I found it. And the only other place I found it was in John Keel's writing. And John Keel, as near as I could tell, was a lot more popular with the right kind of people to get that story picked up. So I, I'm almost positive Keel was the one that brought the silver bullet into the Javadon legend. And, and, and in that strange sense, I guess Keel used a silver bullet to kill a werewolf. I guess he did, and I would not put it past him. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Anyway, on that note, we'll move on to our final question. How about that? Cool. So, Richard, we like to ask all of our guests a, a final question, and that is, what's your favorite monster? Um, you know, that's a that's a really cool question. It, it kind of bounces around. I'm sure years ago it would have been Bigfoot. Now I'm kind of into um, – there's this uh, guy, Albert Rosales. Are you familiar with that name? No. He's written oh. um, and, and compiled uh, maybe 15 volumes of what he calls Humanoid Encounters. And uh, these are all second, third, fourth-hand encounters. But he's but he's sort of in a weird way collecting them by year, and so you can get you know humanoid encounters, nineteen seventy to nineteen seventy-five. Neat. And he sort of goes through everything, newspapers, the internet, and and day by day, January to December, uh, gives these first-hand accounts of people having weird humanoid encounters all over the world with just whatever Bigfoot creatures, alien creatures. Uh, elves, dwarfs, centaurs, all kinds of weird. And um, and something that comes up in those books, uh, a couple things. One of them uh, that I never gets talked about are stick people. 
And, and these are these are things that uh, have been seen in sort of um, the Midwest of the United States, uh, as far as I recall. And they literally look like Groot. <laughs> 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 like, like, like they look, but but almost maybe even more insect tile or or and like less articulated just sort of like like almost like a line drawing of a stick man and and they moving across the highway or or lingering off the side of the road or seen in in different contexts and people have very very strong negative emotional reactions no doubt um, upon citing these but they're very rare wow and the so i'm really kind of into stick man not slender man but stick man and then the other one that I hear about that I really like are these people – and again, this feels like you know, a highway you know, at dusk sort of sightings. Uh, and sometimes it's mixed in with the phantom hitchhiker phenomenon, but these are uh, people who are half animal. Their, their upper or lower half uh, manifests in an animal way. So some people have seen dog people. You know, just hybrids. like people dressed, yeah, the hybrids, like people just dressed normally smoking a cigarette out by the side of the road, except they've got a big dog head. Or conversely, um, people who will hitchhike, get in your car, and you'll look back and they have chicken legs. Which I is, like this a lot. <laughs> it seems really strange. And one of the best stories uh, in, in like a book of paranormal cop experiences, I think, is um, is a story of a guy saying, you know, my dad is a 30 years on the Chicago police force. I mean, you're never going to find a more, you know, uh, realistic, tough as nails, pragmatic guy. And he still doesn't want to talk about the night that the woman got in the back of his car. And uh, he looked back and she had chicken legs. And that's it. That's just his one story. And it disturbed him so deeply. Uh, and uh, and he's he's still uncomfortable talking about it. That, to me, is just beautiful. It we is. We have local legends around here about a frog boy. Ooh. So, um, yeah, he's been like around for maybe about 40 years or something. But uh, had similar stories uh, like the well, – By now, he's got to be a frog man. Well, <laughs> that's a good point. I mean, but, but can you imagine? I mean, the kind of courage that it would take to go out and hitchhike if you had chicken legs. I mean, that's really plucky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, I'm not even going to try to follow that up. That is, yeah, leave, leave it alone. <laughs> really but those are good answers. But I, I think my my son, my three year old, he just turned three, and I think he's seen Stick Man before because he keeps drawing pictures of him. <laughs> oh yeah, that's so oh, weird. Oh, Mike everywhere stick man too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. A witness account. That's good. You got to save those. That's firsthand, uh-huh. uh, firsthand stuff. <laughs> that's good. That's really good. Oh, oh Richard, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was a lot of fun. <laughs> oh my god, this has been so great. I've I've really enjoyed it. I and and, and just you you've you've reached out with such kindness, and I I I appreciate it so much. I. I'm so glad that this connection has been made and I, I hope that it continues. And when I am next in Atlanta, which will either be this summer or maybe around Thanksgiving, but awesome. I would love to sit down across the table and have a drink. Oh my God. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Monster talk. You've been listening to monster talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stolzner. You've just heard part two of our interview with Mothman prophecy screenwriter, Richard Haddam. 
Check out our show notes at monstertalk.org for links to the many movies and books we discussed during this show. Richard's TV series, Miracles and The Gates, are available through Amazon, and links to those are also in the show notes, as well as other resources that we talked about. Monster Talk is an official podcast of Skeptic Magazine. The views and opinions expressed on this show are those of myself and my guests, and do not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of Skeptic Magazine or the Skeptic Society. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Monster Talk. Each episode, we strive to bring you the best in monster-related content with a focus on bringing scientific skepticism into the conversation. If you enjoy Monster Talk, we now have a variety of ways to support the show, all with convenient links at monstertalk.org forward slash support. That's monstertalk.org forward slash support. There we have links to our Patreon pages as well as a donation button. A great way to support the show is to buy us books from our Amazon Monster Talk wish list, which directly helps us with our research. We love used books very much, so don't feel compelled to buy new ones. And we love Kindle, and we can share our digital library with each other. Finally, without spending any money at all, you can support us by leaving a positive review at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Positive reviews help keep us visible in iTunes, which is a great way to help us find new listeners. And please, share our show on your favorite social media platforms. Save the date for a colossal PsyCon 2018. Bigger venue, bigger stars, bigger ideas, bigger fun. Las Vegas, October the 18th to the 21st, 2018. PsyCon is already one of the planet's premier skeptical conferences where hundreds of critical thinkers come to Las Vegas, the city of illusions, to hear from the leading lights of science and skepticism. For 2018, we want PsyCon to be bigger than ever. We've even booked a bigger hotel. Come to Las Vegas at the Westgate Resort and Casino to see the brilliant and hilarious Stephen Fry on stage with Richard Dawkins. An opening night talk by Stephen Pinker on the ideas behind his new book, Enlightenment Now. The triumphant return of James the Amazing Randy. Plus, New York Times science writer Carl Zimmer, psychologist and memetics expert Susan Blackmore, the Psybabe Yvette Dontremont, virologist and advocate for science-based medicine Paul Offit, and many, many more, along with comic musician George Rubb, serving as Master of Ceremonies, a magic show from Banachek, author book signings, and of course, a Halloween costume party. It's true, conspiracy theorists, quacks peddling fake medicine, and the deniers of evolution, climate change, and vaccine science are bigger threats than ever. With PsyCon 2018, let's show them that they have just met their match. We'll see you in Las Vegas. For more information and to book your tickets, visit csiconference.org. That's psiconference.org. Monster Talk theme music is by Pete Stealing Monkeys. Thanks again for listening.
Did you know that you can now subscribe to Skeptic Magazine digitally? Just grab our free Skeptic Magazine app, currently compatible with iOS, Android, PC, Mac, Kindle Fire, Kindle Fire HD, and BlackBerry Playbook. Head over to skeptic.com slash magazine slash app to find out more and download more of your favorite skeptic content. I thought you meant oh, the fake ending, like, oh, Richard, oh. it was really great to have you. Do <laughs> <laughs> <So> you are gay. <laughs> <laughs> try, to, try to stifle that yawn. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it was really great. 